Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone in the franchise world. My name is Paul Segreto, and this is Franchise Today. Having a little technical difficulties today with our opening jingle. It looks like it's playing in the background, and yet I don't hear it. So anyway, um, it is Wednesday, October 4, 2017. I'm reporting live, of course, from Houston, Texas, and my co-host, Stan Friedman, relaxing on vacation, yet still here today. What dedication and commitment. Stan, great to have you today. Hey, man, great to be here. I just heard a little bit of a siren instead of Eric Badland's burger, and I was wondering if somebody was chasing you or Sam or who, because um, the only yeah. thing I hear in the background, the only thing I hear in the background here are the waves lapping against the beach here on beautiful Sanibel Island. Yep, yep, all right, rub it in, rub it in. I just uh, <laughs> spent 30 hours from hell flying out to uh, Colorado Springs, got there 2 a.m. Monday, got back last night, 1 a.m., great meetings, great events last week. Uh, of course, we, we, we've got to give kudos to, to Lane and uh, Lane Fisher and Brad Fishman, another great springboard event. Uh, loved listening to uh, Leroy Raffle, co-founder at Arby's, really give an inspiring uh, speech. Uh, I thought it was just a great event. And, of course, uh, I left there and spoke at the New England Franchise Association meeting last Thursday. I want to thank everyone there. It was a, a very well attended event and uh, as i'm traveling for one stand you're you're relaxing i'm doing that paul long long overdue and uh and listen jess perper jessica perper and the entire fisher and zucker team they all get high fives because lane and brad get to stand up front and make it look easy but i mean jess and her team are are the people who put all those franchisors and suppliers and participating sponsors in chairs. And that was by far the ultimate springboard event in terms of size. And I think in terms of quality, in fact, we'll talk a little bit with Sam um, in a moment or two, because he played a role in this year's event as well. But I I just think this year that uh, they hit a new watermark, Paul. This one was the, and I think too, it wasn't just emerging. They've taken it to a new level with, emerging and re-emerging, which made for what a powerful story from Leroy Raffle, because I never knew that Arby's went through what Arby's went through to become the giant that it is today. But um, his story was so, so tied into what everyone was at this conference for and um, what humble beginnings that brand came through to, to become the legend and the iconic brand that it is today. Yeah, and I, and I got to tell you, you know, I hadn't been to Boston in, in many, many years. And uh, Mr. Raffle had mentioned that him and his brother went up and uh, tried to uh, talk with the owners of Kelly's, uh, a roast beef um, restaurant up there that uh, I didn't know anything about. Well, sure enough, as I got to Boston and looking for a place to eat that night, there was a um, um, one of their restaurants right there on the, on the corner. And I said, well, let me give it a try. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm glad um, Mr. Raffle and his brother got the door slammed on him because I was not 
impressed. <laughs> so um, <laughs> anyway, it's 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 funny how this all uh, this all works. But let's let's move on to. Uh, I definitely want to bring Sam on uh, quickly today because we've got a lot to talk about. But I do want to mention. Um, again, thanks for everything uh, that went so well at Springboard next week. Uh, Leadership and Development Conference. Stan, I know you're playing a, a, a role in that. Again, uh, why don't you just give a, a quick oversight on that, and, uh, and then we'll jump into today's guest. And listen, my role is marginal. We just have fun. Uh, we sponsor the conference app, and, we, uh, and, you know, we're exhibitors. So that's my favorite conference of the year to support as a sponsor because it is so focused on what has always been my grassroots franchise development. And so update, whether you're a franchise executive that's just getting started in the business as a franchise salesperson, or if you're heading a team of development people, or if you're the franchise or looking to understand how and where to better spend your money to market for new opportunities and the best way to manage them. This show is all about nothing but those things. It's all about the generation and the management of leads into opportunities and opportunities into closed businesses and getting units open. And um, my favorite, because it is a laser point on a pen, Paul, you can't have a more targeted conference that's going to take deep dives into a single topic than the Franchise Update Fall Leadership and Development Conference. And here it is on our doorstep just one week away. Absolutely. So I want to get into uh, the meat of today's show, which we've titled EBITDA, the most powerful acronym in franchising. And I think it, the timing of this is, is so appropriate coming out of the Springboard Conference. You know, Leroy Raffle, the co-founder of Arby's, said, you know, franchise success is, is entirely dependent upon franchisees making money. Uh, I don't think um, there could be a truer statement. And also, I want to go back to a, a quote that I heard uh, Ron Feldman say three years ago at Springboard when he was, um, I joke with him and I say he was lecturing uh, the emerging franchisors in the room, and he really was, but it was sound advice when he said, why would you think a franchisee should invest in your brand when your own balance sheet wouldn't even qualify you? to buy a unit in your own brand. And with that, I would like to introduce today's guest, Sam Ballot, the CEO and President of East Coast Wings and Grill. Sam, welcome to Franchise Today. Hello, Paul and Stan. Uh, Good to be with you guys. Well, it's great. Yeah, and it's great having you, Sam. I, I know you've got a very busy schedule, so I'm really appreciative of you being with us today and especially coming at a springboard where, you know, so much emphasis was on the financial aspect of um, sustainable and sensible franchising, which of course franchise today is all about. And before we get into that, uh, as we do with all of our guests, we'd like you to take us back as, as far as you'd like. Uh, as we, as Stan said before the show, you know, none of us woke up one day, uh, in an early age and said, you know, I think franchising is the, is the way to go, and that's what I'm going to trek towards. Uh, so why don't you go back as far as you'd like, uh, bring us up to date as to, uh, you know, where you are today. Sure. And, um, um, it, it's a really neat story. Um, I grew up in a Greek immigrant household, and restaurant touring was what, my household did, the whole family line. I mean, 
it's kind of like you watched uh, my big, my big fat Greek wedding, you know, where he's introducing, and this is my cousin Paul and my cousin Gus, and here's cousin Paul and cousin Gus, and here's cousin Gus and cousin Gus. Um, everybody in my family line was a restaurateur, uh, whether they were uncles or cousins or what have you. So I, I spent a lot of my life uh, in the restaurant from 12 years of age, and and uh, and, and fast forward that. I was the first in our family line um, to be educated beyond high school, and into college I went, and um, I was fascinated with numbers. Um, I remember my first indulgence to uh, EBITDA research was when I bought as a sophomore in college uh, in 1985, I believe it was, uh, late 85, MCI communication stock. Uh, with what little money I had, a few hundred dollars, I think maybe five or six hundred dollars, I had saved up work at the restaurant during the summers, um, and and uh, and that made a lot of uh, money for me back in that day. So <clears throat> I came out of college fascinated with numbers, and um, and told the family line that I was not going to pursue the restaurant heritage. I was going to go into the financial arena. So my career path. Uh, has been really unique and, and blessed at the same time because it allowed me to get into the ground up of the financial arena, uh, beating the streets, you know, annuity sales, mutual fund sales, stock brokering, stock jockeying, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, the hardcore and the hard way of, of, of uh, building a business. And from that, uh, I pivoted into some syndication uh, work with some investment banking, um, I got into uh, other realms of uh, chair remainder trust work with a lot of wealthy affluence in the North South Carolina markets, um, and that landed me some management opportunity. And um, um, AIG out of New York uh, was on a hunt for some domestic financial division growth, and actually, um, um, fast forward some future intellectual understanding today but to, 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 to forecast they actually bought companies but in that day they were going around hiring young uh, hungry people I was uh, I was young and I was hungry literally I mean the the financial arena as a rookie coming into that business was not a thriving economic uh, venture for anybody building a book of business so uh, I was hired by AIG uh, a third in command of the domestic division Bob O'Connell and and uh, was put in charge at 27 years old of building um, a financial domestic model for them in North Carolina. So uh, at, a, at a very young age, I had some great uh, mentoring uh, on how to run a profitable uh, budget line item, how to run uh, driving the EBITDA, how to make, uh, uh, as, as, as Hank Greenberg would tell me in meetings, you know, I only had two jobs for him. He didn't care how hard we worked. You know, he... He wanted policyholders happy with his insurance giant arm, and then he wanted shareholders happy, and that's all he cared about uh, in a very macro sense of the imagination. So between 27 and 31 years of age, you can imagine um, coming out of the South, um, flying up to New York and being picked up and taken to Wall Street and, and having lunch dinner, lunches and dinners with the magnitudes of Maurice Greenberg and some of those icon, iconic kind of people on Wall Street was um, – uh, thrilling, but uh, being that I, I am rooted as a family-driven kind of guy, when I was asked to go to San Diego, um, um, I said no, and so I had to make a change from AIG and to a boutique investment bank. Uh, I went, and uh, 
I worked with Interstate Johnson Lane out of the Carolinas. And fast forward to that, uh, being numbers fascinated me and building companies fascinated me. As a side gig, strictly for economic benefit reasons, I had uh, started out of uh, my fourth bedroom of my home, a little real estate firm, and some developing. So while I was financialing uh, in my career and investment banking and some syndication work I was doing, et cetera, I was building this kind of silent uh, company in the Triad area of North Carolina, uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point. And um, lo and behold, that company turned out to be the fourth largest volume commercial real estate producer um, in this area, fourth or fifth, somewhere in that ranking. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided to sell my financial uh, business. I had built a a REA uh, business, a registered investment advisory practice, uh, Carolina Asset Management as another model of of economics, and uh, tackled the real estate arena. In the real estate arena, developing real commercial real estate, um, I was uh, um, brought into this restaurant um, as a partner that was failing. And um, when I got into the this restaurant, um, uh, that process of failure was all about the operation at the unit level. And that was kind of my first epiphany that, uh, wow, how easy... You can come from a background of very successful restaurant touring and step in somebody else's realm of, of a misunderstanding or not understanding the restaurant business as a one-on-one model. And um, um, I bought that one store and retooled that store, and uh, it became the East Coast Wings um, um, brand. It was one store deep. Um, doing 685000 in gross sales a year. It was very uh, stigmaed as uh, a barry wing concept, and I was transitioning it over a couple of years into a full-blown casual dine style offering, which is what I grew up in, back to kind of my roots, uh, as a side adventure. It was another revenue arm of, uh, you know, the Sam Ballas kind of ventures that I had going on at that time. And um, with that, I saw some dramatic sales increase that uh, caught my attention. You know, when you increase the the business 30%, and, uh, of course, being that I'm more visionary than I am entrepreneur, um, I started thinking, okay, how how do I duplicate this? You know, is it duplicatable? And and, um, um, I had some folks that I was aware of in Atlanta Atlanta Bread Company that was in the Greek community that um, um, I rang and got some insight about franchising. And then I spent uh, 2000, 2001, and 2002 literally studying franchise modeling. I've been to so many at that date, um, franchise sales, you know, hotel, ballrooms, uh, flown to corporate offices and just investigating how do they move this model, how does this model work. I think at one time I had 47 UFOCs uh, to, to, to date. Uh, now it's changed, right? It's, it's an FDD. But I had this franchise right. disclosure circulars then, you know. Uh, um, and in 2002 and early three. I wrote our first UFOC. I literally spent eight months, and, and I don't advise that for anybody wanting to get into franchising because it was a task. 
look at all of what the FTC guidelines needed and, and put what you think you want to do and how you want to do it um, in a written format. And, and after eight months of doing that and then looking back that year and seeing that you only made $47,000 of gross income because you were so indulged into this document, my whole basement was, I think, paperwork from one end to the other. And um, uh, very supportive spouse and, and household. I took that to an attorney here locally, and I said, hey, can we make this thing work where I can sell it? And um, and in 2004, we sold our first franchise, and kind of the rest has been history. Let's park there because you gave us a ton, a ton of information. We didn't hear another word but just dove into what you've already shared. We'd spend the rest of this and maybe two more hours unpacking all of that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, and I'm no telling you, I've known you since – I've known you from the beginning of time. I mean, I was at Wing Zone in those years that you were giving birth to East Coast Wings. Um, but I've still learned a ton about you in the last eight or ten minutes. The, the number one most important thing I think I've learned is I had no idea you were Greek. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that Southern accent of yours, you know, I've just never associated it with Greek. But I do have a yeah, question. I didn't either. Paul. A trivia question for Paul, and then we're going to dive into the real meat of today's discussion, but we just have to get one more lighthearted thing out of the way. So, Paul, you, Sam has made it real clear that he's been in the food business, but, you know, numbers and money are really his passion and, and his core competency. Um, Sam shares something in common with someone else in our business who is all about uh, core competencies and wealth and money and and finance, and that up being Ron Feldman. What else do you know that Sam and Ron Feldman might have in common? And it's a driving force. Well, I, o- I only, yeah, I only know this because I saw it on Facebook the other day. They both have the license plate uh, EBITDA. Although I believe <laughs> Sam probably parks a lot straighter than Ron does. <laughs> and I had mine first. <laughs> yeah, and I yes, you did. That's what I heard. I bet. I'll bet yours, too, is on a pricier piece of uh, automotive um, machinery. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's all relevant. Um, you, know, you know, guys, the, the, the journey with franchise and, and, and the beauty of this franchise model and this, you know, franchise model is not an industry, right? It's a business model. Uh, we we right. refer to it as an industry because that's what we do for a living, Right. Um, you know, coming from a, a, a financial background, a real estate and developer real estate background, which I still own the firm, uh, that's not very active today because this is consuming, of course, 100% of my time. Um, I have seen so many associations, so much um, uh, um, relationship builds and not builds. You know, the beautiful thing that I was introduced to, you know, Stan, you mentioned how we first met. Uh, it was actually at the IFA Super Session in L.A. on top of the standard, um, yep. uh, where I met Stan Freeman for the first time uh, communicating about wings and, uh, and having some discussion. But, um, you know, you, you meet people that uh, are givers, not only takers, and, uh, you know, Ron is, is definitely one of those people that has become a good friend of mine in this, in this business. And, um, you know, you mentioned Springboard. I mean, um, wow, that didn't exist when I was coming, you know, into this process. Uh, I was very fortunate 
that I seeked out the uh, IFA and 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 chased down their their uh, conference and went. I think the Palm Desert 12, 13 years ago was my first uh, IFA that I went to, and I was very fortunate on the second IFA that I, I went to to be introduced to the late Fred DeLuca, and 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 actually had him send me some information in probably a couple dozen times um, in my first four or five years of franchising. Um, I've made some great friends. But, you know, Springboard, uh, what a terrific event. And, and, and this year, as you guys mentioned, it was a special event because um, um, in the initiation or the initiating of, of Springboard as a conference, uh, Lane and Brad had asked me, to, as well as some other people smarter than me, to be on their advisory uh, kind of committee on how to put this thing together five years ago. Um, and you know, Lane and Brad are notoriously give back people to this business, um, and it's benefiting a lot of people. Wow, you know, the first year it was 160-some people big, and now it was over four to almost 500 people big this year. But the key is, you know, this year they really want to do something different, and, and, it, and it boils right into your, your, your um, uh, podcast today. They wanted to knock down some macros of what really emerging brands deal with, right? And the, the biggest thing that I dealt with as an emerging brand was um, how do I find the money to grow? Um, how do I take systems uh, and find systems to grow with? How do I move those systems to a unit-level scenario? And, and really boil it down to the franchisee success process. Um, and in a, um, uh, with IFA in D.C., we sat down and, and we came up with the idea with the help of Joe Don, uh, which I thought was a brilliant idea. Why don't we find a real company to use? You know, somebody that was, that had an, an inflection point uh, in the time that they've been developing. Uh, and we thought about that before, you know, John Tezza, who's terrific and, and the chairman of the conference two years in the making, um, brought the inflection point chart up on, on, the, on the, the screen. So, um, and lo and behold, it turned out to be, you know, looking at me and saying, hey, Sam, how about, you know, your company? But it really boils down to the intellect I have today with franchising that, you know, the most important thing in franchising is what? The most important thing is franchising or franchisees. And the most important question of franchising is, are your franchisees profitable? Um, I say that today the way that I just expressed it. You know, with almost 14 years of franchising uh, work experience, you know, back in my beginning, it was, it's kind of an irony to see and an epiphany at the same time where you pat yourself on the back thinking, Wow, I launched this franchise investigation, built the franchise documentation, sold the very first franchise in 2004 with a thought that I need to make this interstatable so everybody can experience what I grew up in experiencing as far as profitability. And 14 years later, the language has changed, uh, Paul and Stan, but it's really the same thing, right? I mean, you know, the biggest question mm-hmm. of franchise needs to be, is your franchise e-profitable? Um, and that's become the catalyst of our philosophy. And over the 13 and a half to 14 years in this style model of business, um, franchise profitability or unit level of economics uh, is one of our uh, legs of our stool as a DNA. 
you know, to use a, an effigy of, of many types of industries, right, the three-legged stool. Uh, the second is our menu. You know, we don't jeopardize our menu. Uh, and the third, uh, that we are still working on creating it as a DNA, uh, and I think we're not quite there yet. We're, we're working on it. Uh, you know, we have growth pains as well, as good as we are numbers. Uh, we have traditional problems as well, as good as we are with numbers. But the third stool for us is smart growth and smart development. You know, where do we need to be and who do we need to be there with? And, um, you know, Stan, you mentioned development conference uh, in, in Atlanta, which is a great place for a lot of emerging brands to start with. But, um, you know, we have two of our three legs in our macro sense of our brand um, solidified. We are definitely ULE, unit level economic DNA'd, and we are definitely menu quality DNA'd. And uh, even 13 and a half years later, being that 2018 is going to be the first year uh, in franchise mod, this may seem like it's taken too long. It's going to be a first year that I've allowed the brand to scale up. Um, my team's been told this year, Q2. You can go into Q3, Q4 for 2018 to be the first year that you do your first dozen dozen openings in casual dining. And we're seven of those dozen slated in construction already for next year. It's the first time I've allowed the brand to, to show me the scalability. So not that it's taken us so many years to get it right, but there's a lot of testing and retesting and pivoting to make sure that if your DNA is going to be ULE and, and to solve the million-dollar question, you know, what's the most important thing in franchising, which is franchising profitability. Um, and I've gone back, guys, and, and tried to test myself, have I taken too long to do this foundation structure the way I want to do it? And I can't find any way I could have done it any faster uh, with what we want to do and how we want to do it. You know, Sam, I think that there's a real nugget and a takeaway for the audience with that last remark, because if someone who has had the growing up operational experience in a family of restaurateurs, who has had a passion for mathematics, who has gone to jobs in you know, Wall Street and in the investment world and lived and breathed numbers and real estate and crunch all of that experience together for you to be able to say you've not found a way to do it any quicker is pretty humbling. And, and it's a takeaway that nobody should pay short shrift to because in this business, we are, especially those of you in food, in the penny profit business, um, it doesn't take much of a, a jig or a jag in the wrong direction to, to compile some pretty big numbers and make a difference. So um, the due deliberation that you're talking about is something that I think is important for emerging, especially emerging franchisors to take from this, is sometimes the fastest path to success is slow down a little bit, <laughs> get it right the first time, <laughs> and it's a lot easier to do it right once than to reinvent it, correct? Well, you know, you, you have to be able to recognize the voids when you have misses, right? I mean, we're not immune to headaches. Uh, I've mm -hmm. got a couple of stores that I've got headaches in right now. But because we've got so many systems in place, 
Um, and, and, I, and I study and research everybody in my space. I study and research anybody who could be a competitor by designing my space um, uh, quite frequently. Um, I paper research. I dig into publicly traded companies because of my background. I can find the hidden gems in those numbers. Uh, because we have all that in place, we fill the voids quicker, I think, than a lot of emerging brands have been able to do. So the, the time lag for us to grow the way we've grown is self-designed. We prefer to have ULE not dictate but be the essence of when it's time for us to throttle up or throttle back. Um, and I think it takes a – well, I know it does. I've, I've, I actually uh, have mentored brands larger in Unicount than I am uh, on how to build some ULE modeling and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I know that, you, that, that it takes the, the kind of time it's taken us in casual dining. And, of course, you, know, you have, you have uh, uh, dice are rolled at you you can't control in 2008 and 2009. Uh, great case in point. My, my first inflection point was in 2010. Recession came in. We didn't feel the recession as a brand the way the, the media portrayed it and our, and our brethren dealt with in a lot of the casual dime. Um, but because we had systems in place and because we were very disciplined, um, we were able to move and steer our energy into – uh, a direction of positive trajectory, not into a direction that could be a detraction of, of trajectory. So we steered into uh, supply chain, and we sat down and said, hey, all these supply chain manufacturers, these manufacturers who would not do deals with us, who would not talk to me, I was too small as a unit count, or my volume was small, or they wouldn't give me a skew at the, at the distributor level for this particular product, or they wanted, in many cases, a 3,000 case run to do a, a proprietary product. All that changed in 2009. That same manufacturer now for 300 cases was talking to you. Um, and we were able to steer into a, 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 a process, and we said, you know what? There's a lot of ways to grow your business. We may not add any units in 2009, which we didn't on purpose, by design. But we did in 9, 10, 11, and 12, same store, same units, full calendar operations in those four years, combined as a mean average, increased our EBITDA 58%. So, you know, we were able to go and tackle supply chain, drop case count costs, in some instances 22, 23% savings to the franchisees. We didn't... Uh, uh, pillaged the, the case count because our label's on it to make all the money. We launched a commissary distribution center, 8,000 square feet in those, that time frame. We built it. We launched it. It became basically a redistribution hub. We figured out pretty quickly that we could save some money by bringing the pallets to us as a, a skew sit and then have U.S. Foods, in our case, uh, backhaul for distribution out of their D.C. That saves money. Uh, we figured out if we did a five-year contract with a national uh, distribution uh, company, as we did with U.S. Foods back in that day, that we can get the backhauling done for at that time for, say, five cents a case. 
so there was a lot of neat things that we were doing that brands that are 100, 200, 300 units big spent all the energy scrambling to fix cash flow modeling. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there is definitely a not just a, a method of the madness, so to speak, but there's definitely validated record that if you build discipline and you build steady, you know, you build 15, 20% new units uh, every year instead of going 20, 50, 10, negative 1, 65. I mean, if you do it very steady um, with a discipline in place, um, you can find a lot of areas to grow your business um, that may not be dictated simply by a new unit opening. Um, and that method kind of rolled for us. We went through an inflection point in 2010. We had to fix some things in our foundation that cracked a little bit because we're not immune to having headaches. And then we became royalty self-sufficient in 2012, which was my goal. Um, it was my goal before, you know, even Shelly and I used to talk about it, and Shelly's son wrote about it. Um, um, it was a way that I felt like I could keep my sales department, my sales uh, energy, as validated as possible to bring the right can at the table if we'd have to live off of license sales. Uh, that was the, the thought pattern then. It turned into being now a language, Paul and Stan, of you know, royalty self-sufficiency, and, 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 and that's become kind of a, a, a benchmark or KPI for emerging brands. Absolutely. You're listening to Franchise Today, where today I've heard at least three statements that could easily have had a mic drop after them. I'm Paul Segreto, along with Stan Friedman, and we're talking today with Sam Ballas, CEO and President of East Coast Wings and Grill. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where they've been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting, a hybrid approach that delivers more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as for their franchisees. The Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and, of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and provide you with the guidance needed to navigate them. Learn more about Franchise Foundry along with the growing list of clients at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchise Today is also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and perspective as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from perspective and existing franchisees, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence including text messages, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, 
multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost each year, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So, Sam, what a great foundation you've laid and given us a, just a wealth of information on the building blocks and the foundation that East Coast Wings has been built on. And you ended just before the break with, you know, conveying to me that by slowing down on growth and taking care of other things and that particular juncture at that inflection point, less was more. But one place where I don't think less has ever been um, more or that less has been better than more has been on the consumer side where you guys have cut absolutely no corners. So let's talk a little bit about the brand experience and what it is that makes East Coast Wings the choice and favorite of your consumers who keep coming back for more. Let's talk about the brand. So, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the brand is in its infancy was a very traditional, for the Southeast uh, um, um, speaking, a very traditional wing joint where you, you, know, you came in, you got wings and, and beer. Uh, not a lot of food offerings. So the um, background of my family upbringing at the restaurant business um, had diner in my head. So I, I instantly improved on the menu, uh, expanding the offerings. And some point in cases as we went through growing pains, we had gotten to a high, as high as 98 items, which was way too many items for a casual dine, and, and we've paid our tuition with those, those misses, um, and we've, we've consolidated our menu. But the one thing that I think was unique with, with me and the brand uh, and my team early on is that we were preaching in our building that our uh, brand delivers a dining experience. That's what we do. We don't do wings. We are a dining experience, casual dine. And if you want to have a dining experience and casual dine that was more family-driven and sports bar-driven, um, come to East Coast Wings initially, and then it became East Coast Wings and Grill as the brand evolved with that thesis. So our brand's, uh, delivery was a dining experience. That's what we talked about. The tools of that experience were the unique ways we did our wings, right? There's not very many brands, if any, in the country that I'm aware of, maybe a few independents here or there in spotty parts of the country, meaning that you know, some in maybe in, in Ohio, some in California, some in New York, uh, in certain spots of the country. But um, no national brand that I'm aware of does the wings how we do them, where we're able to provide a variety of flavoring at a heat index of eight levels. So, you know, Paul Stan and, and I could sit down at the table and have the same garlic parmesan, and I could have it at one heat level intensity, and Stan and Paul could have it at a different heat level intensity at the time of order. Um, it is a process that we worked on in 1999, and it took us until 2002 to figure out how we can create this differentiator for the wing space where the variety of flavor sustained and the heat didn't take over the variety of flavor. Now, there are wing concepts out there that have the same flavoring of wings that we have. 
And if you go and eat a honey barbecue wing with me or a honey barbecue wing with a competitor, um, you'll find a distinctive difference. Um, in some cases, that wing at a competitor will, will after the second or third wing of maybe a, a ten or a dozen of wings, will take over the heat intensity will take over the palate. We didn't want that. We wanted you to go through the heat intensity through the majority, if not all of the wing order, um, and sustain the honey barbecue palate. Uh, it took us three and a half years to figure out how to do that a certain kind of way, and that now has become proprietary to the brand. Um, then we figured out how we could do that to order. So a table of four, five, and six in a ticket time that would be competitive with any competitor, we could mix that at time of order. Um, it's very unique, and it was the first hook the brand had as we started expanding through the franchise model that intrigued new markets we would enter into. Um, they would visit because of the hearsay of this ability, and then from that ability, because of my background in the family restaurant business, they then realized, oh, we're just not wings and, and Bud Light. We are wings and wraps and burgers and um, salads and appetizers. And because of the, uh, the Greek restaurant touring I grew up in, uh, I was taught everything needs to be make, made from scratch. Um, as a you know, seven-state chain, uh, anybody on the podcast will agree and understand you can't do everything from scratch and expand this kind of way. But mm -hmm. we do a lot from scratch. Um, in the early stages, we did most everything from scratch. And then we kept the things from scratch that we thought we could sustain as we started to scale up. And the things we thought we couldn't sustain quality, we just got rid of or went to manufacturers in 2009 and 10 and had them make us something to our specifications that we thought had a quality taste. Um, and that was our second hook of the brand with the consumer base. It was quality stuff. We were hand padding our burgers until 2014. Our burger sales have increased um, so much, we could not sustain the labor to hand pat every hamburger through the restaurant. So we, we uh, went to some manufacturers. We spent corporate dollars. We bought and die-cutted our, our stamp cuts with the understanding that you have to stamp it fresh, cry back it, and send it to me. No frozen protein except the boneless wing, and I've got a whole thesis for that, uh, is allowed in our stores. So it has to be fresh. Uh, we negotiated our chicken suppliers in specific uh, strategic territories that we knew we could stay inside a 10-day uh, from kill zone to uh, consumer um, to be fresh. So that was our second hook. And um, then our third hook is happening now. Uh, our, our, our last inflection, inflection point we're going through now that we're wrapping up, uh, and it's ironic, you know, they, they did this at the springboard. You know, they used, they, nobody knew it was East Coast Wings was the model uh, group exercise, right? So um, it was neat to sit in the back when the teams were the, delivering their presentations and most all the teams hit, you know, that this brand needs to have craft beer pushing 
Uh, well, we started that push in January of 2016. Uh, it was nice to see all this intellectual capital beyond just my team talking about your brand and giving advice to uh, Rocco Shelley and Charlie Chase, you know, on, on what they need to do to grow this business, right? Um, and, and some of the things they were saying, which I ran out of time when I tied it all together on stage, uh, to give kudos to some of those young emerging brands, um, uh, that they hit some of those marks dead on, that we were actually uh, coming out of our third inflection point. Um, it was ironic at the springboard that the inflection point started, to, that conversation grew day one to day two, um, and, and how it tied together perfectly with what we decided to do by using a real franchisor in the period uh, and not give them some certain material to make that brain power work in a period that was an inflection point there, not knowing that the inflection point process would be part of the, uh, of the springboard conference. So that was really cool. Very interesting. Certainly, I don't think it was ironic at all. I think it played out extremely well with some very uh, extremely intelligent people sharing uh, their experience. So we, we talked about, you know, um, the, the numbers. We talked about processes. We talked about, you know, taking advantage of a down period to in, improve your business. Uh, I remember as 2008, 2009 was unraveling, so many franchises were talking about improving operations, but very few uh, actually did. And obviously, um, East Coast Wings and Grill is definitely reaping the benefits of that, of, of that exercise uh, at that time. Or as you had said, you paid your tuition, which I thought was a great uh, analogy to this. So we've got all of this in place. You've gone through the inflection points. You've perfected the processes. You have that high quality. You have a differentiating point, which, of course, is, is very, very much uh, important in any emerging brand coming in, especially being in a competitive space. So now let's talk some, Sam, about you know, franchise sales and development. What are the types of individuals that you are looking for, especially since you have such a um, – I guess lack of a better word would be perfected system right now. And obviously, as you should, have a very high standard um, level that you want to continue to achieve. What type of individual are you looking for uh, for your franchisees? So as I, as I stated a few minutes ago, that there's a, th a third leg of our stool that I'm trying to get from uh, an essence of accountability to form uh, habits, and those habits then form some style of culture, and then I take it one step further. You know that culture, in 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 what is a foundation in my mind, needs to turn into DNA of of the brand. It needs to be part of the blood flow of the brand. And that third stool is, of course, you know, smart growth and development. So um, we sat down in 2000, late 15, and I, as I said, you know, you're always learning. Uh, as good as we are, there's still room for change and, and growth. There's still room to pivot. The key thing is that if you've built enough systems, steering the pivot is faster than not having the system to recognize it's time to steer uh, the issue. So um, I found that 
my brand in order to, to be ready for the scale up that I want in 2018 going forward um, in a period of time that nobody is really scaling that much in casual dining, right? There's not a lot of scalability mm-hmm. in casual dining. Usually bad press after bad press. Um, uh, I went out and, and decided that I needed to bring a second tier of uh, franchise uh, operational and development intellect. And um, uh, it's funny, uh, Stan, you mentioned Ron, and, and I, I, I conferred how uh, close I am with Ron and some of those other guys in this business. Uh, Ron went to my ear um, in multi-unit in Las Vegas in April and mentioned to me that there was an individual who was on the street looking uh, for the next dime in a rough, so to speak. Um, and I reached out and was uh, lucky enough to attract Mark Liso and uh, brought Mark in in June as our Executive VP of Operations, uh, who's got a good operational and background and also understands very well development, because that is the third leg that we are solidifying uh, this year and next year. So our, our decision uh, before Mark even came in was to density fill our marketplaces that we're good at and then um, simultaneously, strategically look at some of our interstate markets that we're doing very well in and start to, to create some additional activities in that process. So we like the rural market space. We, don't, we yield to not going where everybody wants to be. Uh, I'd rather be two miles down the street and let my food and my dining experience, which is what we do, attract you to drive the extra two miles. Uh, we have no problem with that. We have no problem with competitors coming around us. We have a validated track record and historical data that shows that that doesn't bother our growth process. So we then moved our focus to what a lot of franchise modeling was doing after the recession, and everybody was going after that multi-unit conglomeration, you know, 40 of these, 60 of these, 20 of those. Can I add East Coast wings and grill into diversification process of their portfolios? Uh, We have since shied from that. Uh, We would look and talk to a multi-unit operator any day of the week that we felt like that market made sense to us and that operator's track record of the other units that they own uh, and their style of operation made sense to us. We would look at those specific style operators, but I'm just as happy in getting uh, a Brent and Sherry Weaver, which are some successful husband-wife routine multi-unit franchisees that started with one unit, now they own three, uh, into our system and let us teach them how to follow. Um, Ultimately, not to cliche what everybody says about the perfect candidate, I have one macro word. They've got to be coachable. They've got to be coachable. Um, There's never a a right and specific route you're going to run on the offense because the defense is going to change on you. They've got to take coaching. And any headache that we've dealt with in our historical data of our brand um, has been a failure of gapping coachability between our support center and the unit level. Um, and as I said 20, 30 minutes ago, you know, we're not perfect. We make errors too. We pay tuition every month. We sit down and recognize what tuition we pay this month that we got to correct next month. Uh, the key is that you learn from that. But I'm looking for uh, – 
people that fit the market demographic that we want to be in and that are coachable. Um, we have every uh, layered system that a brand up to 300 units would have in place. And in some cases, those size brands don't even have. We put Buxton in place at store count 27, I think, in 2015 it was. Um, we paid the, to, the money to have Buxton in place so we can understand exactly how those markets would act and not act with us. And we're a year, in, a year and a half into the relationship with Buxton, and we've just now gotten, gotten that platform operating in the efficiencies that we want to operate in. Um, and some of that had to do with us going through a learning curve. But uh, brands at my size, traditionally, that I've spoken with, don't have that type of platforming in place. So we are poised right now to do a lot of things that a lot of people are going to say, well, how did they do that in 2018 going forward? And it's really exciting. You know, Paul, I think we could have titled this show Dotting the I's and Crossing the T's because, um, you know, there's you can say anything you want about Sam Ballas, and we can joke about EBITDA, but um, there are no coincidences and there really are no accidents to the growth and the deliberate growth of this brand. And to me, those two words, deliberate and intentional, and everything I hear from Sam today is about deliberation and intention. And Sam, I've known Mark, you know, from way back when, uh, gosh, I think all the way back to his Sizzler days. Um, so great catch there to help you do the right thing and operationally grow the brand on a go-forward basis. We could go on for hours, Sam, but time won't let us. Um, with what little time we do have left, though, I would love for you to share with the audience who I think is going to want to reach out and learn more how, how our audience can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about Sam Ballas, the executive, and East Coast Wings, the brand, and and uh, carry this conversation maybe a step or two further. Share that with the audience, please. Sure. I'll, 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 I'll throw in a, a necessity that I think if anybody's listening who is uh, emerging or re-emerging and is not a member of the IFA, not to, to a complete pitch for the IFA, but a pitch, you need to get involved. Uh, every vendor I work with in my business but one uh, is an IFA supply member of, uh, of the IFA. Um, you get a hold of me easiest via email. It could take me a day or two to reply back to you with all apologies up front, but that's uh, my initials, SGB at EastCoastWings.com. Easy enough. Sam, we can't thank you Easy enough. enough. We can't thank you enough for sharing the time with us today. And um, I feel like this is a conversation that we just scratched the ice on we probably could continue this, Paul, and we should. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely think so. I took so many notes and thought of so many things and so many other things I'd like to uh, ask, and I know our loyal listeners would love to uh, learn. Sam, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day uh, to be with us today, but more importantly, uh, I really appreciate the fact that you're giving so much back to uh, to franchising in so many different ways. And, and for that, I give you a sincere uh, a thanks for that. Awesome. You're welcome. Thanks so much, awesome. Sam. Great. Thank you.
Well, Stan, um, another great uh, show. We're um, rocking and rolling towards the end of the year, lining up uh, some new guests. I think we'll have some surprises as we move into uh, the, the fourth quarter of our eighth year uh, on the air and uh, looking forward to our ninth year as we look to take uh, Franchise Today to, uh, to new heights. Uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing uh, many of our listeners uh, at the upcoming events, you next week at the Leadership and Development Conference, and then right after that we have Franchise Expo West, we have the Emerging Brands Conference, uh, and some smaller conferences uh, here and there. If you're not already a member of the IFA, as, as Sam has also promoted as we do, um, now's the time to, uh, to get involved. Join in, and, uh, and then we'll be seeing you in uh, Phoenix uh, after the first of the year. Also, if you are an IFA member, hey, take advantage of the FBN meetings uh, in your marketplace. Uh, I had an opportunity last week at the New England Franchise Association meeting, which is the um, New England FBN group, and uh, really a great sharing of information. And uh, I know I took uh, a lot away with it, away from it myself, uh, as I do all the time. So, as Sam said, also, you know, we're always uh, learning. It's the only way we continue to grow. Uh, Stan, you enjoy the rest of your well, well, well deserved vacation, and we'll be back next week. Until then, my name is Paul Segreta wishing you the best, the very best, in this great, great thing we call franchising, and Franchise Today is <laughs> Franchise pros, stand the man, Paul Segreto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Wanna lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever the passion lights that pilot life under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire From a single to a multi-unit empire Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear is streaming in HD So fine-tune both of your ears And Stan and Paul lays down the law Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor It's all about sustainable growth The sensible franchising Proving concepts to start enterprises So use your left and right side of your brain And absorb this knowledge here Franchising today Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Franchise today. Franchising today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.